And uh, I'd like you, uh, we, we won't read it for a moment, I'd just like to remind you that I'm, I'm, this is the second week on a subject called The Big Stones First, and it's on Acts 1, verses 1 to 11. And um, basically I felt that God drew me to Acts as a backdrop for what we're doing over the, the next, uh, well, nine months really, uh, maybe much, or hopefully much longer than that, which is to be much more focused on outward looking, Front Edge, uh, coming up in November, just 10. I can't overemphasize, please get there tonight. We see the people who are there tonight as the core of the whole thing. This is for Christians tonight, not for non-Christians. That comes with the carol service, and it's to be envisioned and engaged with the whole thing. We, want, we felt Mark Driscoll, too, uh, those of us who went to Brighton, was challenging us to be missional in all we do, and we feel the challenge of that, and we're endeavoring to to look through and pray through what we're doing and how we do it. And also, I just always find Acts so challenging and encouraging. It's, it's 30 years of church history, the first 30 years. I honestly think you could say it is but the opening scene of the great play of church history that we are part of. We're on the stage now in our day and age, and it's the same play. It's the same era. And uh, I, I, I sense that God wants us to be challenged in every era by the book of Acts. That it, to some extent, is showing you what can happen in 30 years. As it starts with just 120, as the Holy Spirit comes on them, and as they go out with the gospel and begin to plant churches and spread the gospel, hit persecution, hit trouble. But there's so much to learn about how the church can move forward in, those, in, in a lifetime or a generation maybe and become a culture-changing, culture-shaking movement. So let's read Acts 1, verses 1 to 11, the very start of this, and then we'll look at one or two of the points that I want to make from there. We'll probably, again, only maybe do one today. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to, those, to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. 
Now, I chose that title, The Big Stones First, because of the uh, uh, little sort of analogy that's used actually for time management about priorities. If you want to fill a bucket with sand and gravel and big stones, you have to put the big stones in first. If you put all the sand and gravel in, you've got no room for the stones. You put the big things in first and let the other fill in round it. It's good for time management. Not sure I always apply it. But it's also just a reminder of priorities. And I want to pick up four big stones from these verses that are priorities in church life and in your life and my life, in Christians' lives. And last time I was speaking, I spoke about Jesus as the centre. Used four C's for these things, if we could pop them up. Centre, combustion, commission and climax. And as I say, last time I was talking about the centre, which was Jesus, and I made a reference to uh, Revelation, uh, where uh, Greg Haslam preached a powerful sermon to this church, uh, putting us on course that I believe we're still on. I shall make reference probably in passing to that again today, so I won't get into that now, but, but I felt that these four big stones were not merely of academic interest. They are of vital interest to all of us, all of you and me, but actually... They are giving us some reminder of the course we are on as a church. Uh, uh, Jeff brought that that prophetic word. Again, I referred to it the first week. Powerful word, actually, at our church family meeting in July about God wanting to make a few clicks, course adjustment, a few clicks of the compass to get us back on a course we'd been on, set on many years ago. And I felt God speak to me about that Greg talk, which I obviously didn't hear, and many of you wouldn't. Reg was able to give me the exact date. Greg preached it, I think it was the 20, I haven't written it down, 25th of September, 1983. So it was 25 years ago, and it was a very church-changing talk. Very church-changing. It changed the course of this church. And I believe God wants us to keep on that course, although we've gone many a way down through the, the journey since then. So I do think there's personal application, there's church application. And this week, uh, this week I want to talk about combustion. <laughs> so that's what I want to talk about this week. Now that may seem a bit strange, and I want to give some introductionly type explanation words from a passage in Luke. So if uh, on the PowerPoint they could put up the Luke chapter 12 passage. Thank you. I want you to look at these two verses carefully, and I want to set them a little bit in their context. This is Jesus speaking. I have come to bring fire on the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. But I have a baptism to undergo, and how distressed I am until it is completed." Now, this is a strange couple of verses. Just leave them up there for a moment. It's a record that clearly Luke and those who gave Luke the uh, accounts of Jesus' life vividly remember. But it reads like it was almost an aside. It reads like it was Jesus speaking his thoughts aloud. Jesus, before the cross, before he was going through the agony of dying for our sins, and before the sort of glory of the resurrection, looking forward and almost, not wistfully exactly, but speaking aloud his thoughts, I've come to bring fire on the earth. How I wish it were already kindled. That's what I'm really here to do. I'm here to see the fire come. That's what I want, really. But I have a baptism to undergo. That's the cross he's talking about. 
and how distressed I am until it is completed. It's, as I say, Jesus in almost a sort of inner turmoil, if I can put it that way, voicing something that is weighing, profoundly weighing on his mind. I have a greater task. My goal, and interestingly, is not purely to go through the cross. My goal is to bring fire on the earth. I'm going to look at that this morning. That's where I'm looking. That's where I'm looking. I wish it was already happening. But I've got something to go through, a baptism, something to go right, be immersed in. And I am distressed until it's completed. There was a, 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 a grieving in his spirit, a turmoil in his spirit that he had still so much to do, such a deep valley to go through. But he was looking ahead, saying, I'm looking for the fire to come. The purpose of my coming is to bring fire on the earth. But at this point, he is constrained, apparently could be one of the ways of translating it, and distressed because it can't yet be done. He can't yet fulfill the mission he really has in mind. He has the baptism of his passion to go through. So this is a goal beyond the cross, but it's a goal that's very, very relevant to us. And it's flagged up also by John the Baptist. Let's put up that verse. In Matthew 3, verse 11, we have this. John the Baptist says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me will come one, as you know that's Jesus, who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not fit to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And I believe John the Baptist is again talking about something. And what we're beginning to understand is that part of the goal of Jesus' coming certainly is to get us saved, certainly is to get us to heaven, but there's something far more, there's some new thing he wants to see happen. From heaven's perspective, the baptism in the Holy Spirit and with fire will be, as it were, something of the climax of what's going on. It's what he's looking to do. And, and here John, with his prophetic insight, says, he will baptise you with the Holy Spirit and fire, which is actually looking beyond the cross again. Jesus really wanted to get on with bringing the fire. That's what he wanted to do. Now, in Acts 1, that we have just read, this same Jesus, who spoke as he did in Luke 12, in the verse we looked at a moment ago, is no longer distressed and he's no longer constrained. He's been through his baptism. He's been through the cross. And he can do it. Now, I can bring the fire. (laughs) Now, I can baptise you in the Holy Spirit and with fire. He has passed through his dreadful baptism. Now, it might be worth just a moment's comment there because I don't know where some of you are in terms of your Christian faith. Most of us do follow Jesus as our Lord and Saviour, but not all. And you need to know that Jesus' baptism means he went into death for all of us. He died for our sins. He went to the cross. He suffered agony. He was He bore our iniquities, the Bible says. He carried our sins. He carried our griefs and our sorrows. Jesus went into the depths, as it were, of hell for us. He he bore the judgment of a holy God against our sin. And it was a dreadful, deep pit, as it were, of suffering. Deeper than we could ever imagine. He was made sin, the Bible says, for us. And came under the judgment of his holy Father. Father God. And it was an agony of soul, deep agony of soul. But it was like a baptism, like when we do water baptism. He didn't stay under the water. He didn't stay in hell. He didn't stay in death. 
Having gone through it and taken it, he rose again in the power of an endless life. Like baptism candidates come out of the water with a new life. He came out from death. And it's now behind him. And now he's ready for the fire to come. (laughs) So here in chapter 1 of Acts, as he talks to his um, uh, followers, talks to the apostles following his resurrection, he's eager to get on with it. He refers to things. We'll look at it in a moment. He says, there's a great thing coming. There's a great thing coming. Indeed, what I'm about to, you are about to receive is better than anything before. Now look at John 16. It's going to go on the screen. John 16 and verse 7. This is something Jesus said to his disciples when he was on earth. He said this, I tell you the truth. And so it must be the truth. Okay, this is the truth. It is for your good that I am going away. Maybe that's another sort of way of talking about the incidents of his death, his resurrection and his ascension. So he refers to it like a baptism. Now he's referring to it as going away. But he says, it's for your good that I go away. Unless I go away, the counsellor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So Jesus is saying, and another translation has it this way, it is better, better that I go away. Now, we've just got to stop saying, better. It is better that Jesus dies, rises again and ascends and sends the Holy Spirit, the counsellor, better than to have Jesus physically with you but not to be baptised in the Spirit and filled with the Holy Spirit. In other words, to be in the situation the disciples were right then when Jesus said that in John 16 is a lesser position than you have this morning. Hear that? That is worse. Let's use the opposite to better. That's worse than where you can be and hopefully are, but can be this morning. Now you think, I can't take that in. Surely it would be better to be with Jesus, see him feeding the 5,000. Of course it was a privilege. It was an incredible thing to experience, and I'm not downplaying it. But Jesus talking to these guys said, actually it's for your good I'm going away. We're echoing the same thought, I'm waiting for the fire to come. Yeah, I've got something to go through. That's his private thoughts, Luke 12. This is a slightly more public thing. And he's saying, look, you guys, you're going to lose sight of me, but that's going to be better. That's going to be for your good. Because I will, if I go, I will send the counsellor to you. That actually the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, God, who is speaking to them as God, the man God, God man, Jesus, That same God in his spirit is going to be in them and on them. If you've still got Acts open, let's let's read the first four verses of chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Because this is the moment when it really happens. Everything Jesus has sort of wanted to happen, if I can put it that way. Sort of culmination. Verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. They began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now... The full 
purpose Jesus had in mind is a being fulfilled in those verses. This is what it's all about. Yes, there is a climax. We're going to look at that. It's the fourth stone when Jesus comes back. There is a climax. But in a sense, this is the key purpose. That I can bring fire through my spirit. That men and women, feeble, weak men and women, as these disciples were, can be radically changed and empowered to go into the world with this new covenant gospel. The covenant of the spirit. The covenant of the spirit is coming, which is what Peter refers to when he preaches from Joel. And there is a huge change that takes place. Let's just take a pause for a moment and keep back with Acts 1. In Acts 1 and verse 1, there is what many commentators call a slightly unusual way of phrasing things. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. All the commentators, and I've got quite a number of books, as it happens on Acts, and you look at them all, and some of them are a little more evangelical, and some one or two I get you get a little bit more liberal, but all of the commentators say this, that the phrase there has by implication this sense that Jesus is going to go on doing and teaching. That the actual original, or it's only what Jesus began to do and to teach. It's not... I mean, you, you, in English, you can think, well, is that just a strange way of saying about the Gospels? No, the sense apparently is, very clearly, I've told you what Jesus began to do, now I'm going to tell you what Jesus is still doing. Now hold that. Jesus is going to do and teach a lot more. And this book is going to tell you about it. In this book, then, we're going to learn how Jesus Christ continues to do things and to teach things. But he's going to be in heaven. So how is it going to happen? It's going to happen by his followers filled with his spirit. And they will be his body. And this anointed body will be Christ across the world. The corporate Christ. The corporate Christ. His arms, his legs, doing as he promised the same sort of things he did. I don't think in quality, but certainly in quantity. Multiplying across the world, miracles. Multiplying across the world, deeds of kindness and acts of mercy. Multiplying across the world, the gospel, the good news for the poor. Jesus is still doing things and teaching things. How? Through spirit-filled Christians. We are Jesus Christ to the world around us. We are, how is Jesus still acting in the world today? Through Christians filled with the Spirit. He really is. He really is. And we really do need to believe it. If we don't do it, nobody else does it. Jesus says, when I want to do something, I don't send angels, I send my body. You are me out there. This isn't some spooky, mythical, fluffy thing. This is exactly the strategy of heaven. That Jesus, in a sense, multiplies himself. The the seed died, and now it has many seeds. Many Christs. You're to walk like he walked. You're to be Jesus at work, at home. You are to be Christ to them. Because he is in you. And the Spirit of God is with you. The seed died, and so he can multiply himself. That's what he did. That's the principle of the kingdom. So the church becomes the body of Christ, the spirit-filled church, doing what Jesus did, saying what Jesus said. His life, his salvation, his healing, his hope brought to a sin-sick world. 
Let's just get a taste of it. Look at one verse from Acts. It's going to come up on the screen. Acts 10 and verse 38. This is just about Jesus Christ. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. So Jesus Christ went around doing that. (laughs) Doing good, anointed with the Holy Spirit and power Healing all who are under the power of the devil, God was with him. But now, he has anointed his disciples, his followers, with the same Holy Spirit and the same power. They are to replicate, as it were, that action. To go around, doing good, healing all who are under the power of the devil, God is with them. Jesus is saying, I was once like this, now you're all like that. Now the fire can come. Now you can be anointed with the Holy Spirit and with power so that you can be my people, replicating my redemption, my power, my healing, bringing my kingdom across the whole globe. So, the Christian church and its growth is never a human strategy thing. I mean, we all try and strategize. I try and strategize. I try to have five-year plans. I've given up now. Honestly, have given up. Don't ask me to do a five-year plan. You might end up with a dustbin over your head. Uh, it, you just Because you never know what... Well, it won't be a dustbin. It'll be a waste paper basket. But the, you, you, you just... No, I do, I'm not against planning. But actually, what I, uh, it's not by, my, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. That is how it works. It is a spirit thing. It's not chaotic. It's not like, oh, well, we never know what we're doing. I'm not advocating that. It's just there's something supernatural about church. Amen? There is something supernatural about it. It is a spirit-driven thing. It is not a human energy thing and not a human strategy thing. It's not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. We need fire. We need fire in modern Britain. We're very cerebral and very safe and very cynical and very calculating. We need fire in Winchester. We're very comfortable. It's very easy. We need fire. We don't need persecution. I hope we don't have it. Persecution often drives you to fire. Troubles drive you to fire. But there is fire available anyway. We just need to be hungry for it. (laughs) We just need to say, God, give us the fire. Because it's the fire that does it. This passage that dear Greg preached on 25 years ago is Revelation. We're not going to turn to it now. Revelation 3 and verses 14 to 20. I'm sure there are many things he said, but one of the things about it is the, the horror of being lukewarm. It's horrific to be a lukewarm Christian. And Jesus said, I'd rather you were cold or hot Don't be lukewarm. And when Greg preached that sermon, and it wasn't a a, a significant major adjustment in the church, one of the big elements that came out of it was the Holy Spirit. This church was not a Holy Spirit church. This church was, I believe, and I'm, I'm relying on information, quite a standard classical FIEC, evangelical, and possibly resistant to the Spirit type church, to summarize. And one of the things that came out of this whole issue 25 years ago was people filled with the spirit and it caused a lot of turmoil 
Now, I've had my stories about that, and that was earlier than that, and it was not that the church I was in was changed, I had to leave it. These were painful things. It was painful here, and it was painful for me. What we were going through was an understanding that this is all about the Holy Spirit and the fire. And we're not to be lukewarm, we're to be people who are mad for Jesus. We have to be people who are potty at times. He said, oh, well, what, just for the sake of it? No, I can be potty for the sake of it. You'd be surprised what I can do. In my youth, I used to do quite weird things. But I, it's not for the sake of it. Don't worry, nothing, nothing unrighteous. But it's not, it's not for the sake of it. It's just that God leads you to do radical things with your life. And, it, you know, there's a need for fire. This culture cools you down, brothers and sisters. It cools you down. I sometimes get so annoyed myself, I could bang my head on the wall. I believe I've got cold, not cold, lukish warmish. And I think it's affected by everything. It's affected by the amount of stuff we watch. You know, it's just, you know, you can watch television, films, newspapers, you know, so I do all that. Then I've got a bit wealthier in life because my kids have all left home, so everything's nice and comfortable. And I've got very sensible, as I've got old, so everything's very sensible. And, and in the end, you think, I'm getting c- cool. And we need, it's not to stir you up so you go and smash a window on the way home. It's, go and be a, come, it's, it's that we need to hunger for the fire of God. We sang a beautiful song earlier about, you know, that lovely song that we made a, a thing about. I felt God gave me a prophetic word in it about the loaves and the fish. Because we need to be absolutely committed to Jesus 100%. You know, you find people like talk funny little things, you know, like little tweaky things like, well, I think, on, on, you know, there's not quite enough of this or not quite enough of that. Not quite. And you think when we start talking like that, the fire's going down. All the sound was a little bit like this. Or the young people are a little more prominent on the, there than they should be. Or the old people are this. Or I can't come on a Wednesday because, you know, I, I play tiddlywinks. And so on and so forth. And we all do that stuff. We all do it. I do it. But you suddenly think, there's something wrong here. The fire's dying down that I even think about tiddlywinks. And, and, there's, there's, and, and it's the same for young people. You've got so much out there, you know, oh, it's lovely and do this and be cool doing that. Well, don't be cool. Be hot. For goodness sake, forget the wretched word cool. You know, let's be hot for God. I don't mind you using cool. You can use, as long as you don't swear, you can say what you like. But what I mean is, I don't want to be cool. I want to be hot. We need the Holy Spirit's fire. And you know, the beginning of this passage here in Acts There's many things that set Christianity apart. Here is these phrases, that very opening sentence that I think I'm still preaching on from five minutes ago. All that Jesus began to do and to teach. Well, that is unique in religious terms. Don't let anybody say, oh, all religions are the same. No, no, they're not. No other religion thinks like that or talks like that. That there are the teachings of Muhammad and the teachings of Buddha and all that. And then they're dead and gone and we carry on with the teachings. But the th- whole theme of the New Testament is Jesus is alive and is still working. He's still doing the stuff. It's not like he gave us some teachings 2,000 years ago and we treasure his memory and treasure his teachings. It's not like that at all. Jesus is alive in heaven pouring out his spirit and saying, get on with what I've told you to do. Be like me in the world. That's Christianity. 
And there isn't any other sort of Christianity. If anybody tells you there's a sort of Christianity that's roughly like anything else, like Islam, nice teacher, loads of prophet, prophetic thoughts, and we all try and implement them through our various rules and codes, well, if they tell you that, they're lying, or they don't understand Christianity. Christianity is not like that. It is about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and it's about being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's about a supernatural change. And if you do do the right thing, which, praise God, you will, you do it because an inside life change, a new creation, not because someone's given you a list of rules. It doesn't work that way at all. It's a totally different thing. Jesus is your personal saviour. You come to know him. You personally receive a fire. Did you notice? Perhaps you didn't. Because, but in, in, in Acts 2 and verse, um, verse 3, when they... They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. Underline it. That although they were together, each of them had a a tongue of fire on them. Because they all needed to be filled with the Spirit. They'd all got to be fired up. It's no good just Peter and a couple of them being filled with the Spirit. And the other 116 or whatever, (laughs) sort of saying, oh, that's wonderful. We'll watch you do it. No, no. Actually, they all were baptized in the Spirit. They all had a tongue of fire on them. The whole thing was a whole body of people fired up with the Spirit of God. That's what we've got to be. That's how it works. We need to be filled with the Spirit. If the church is going to do anything, it's got to be baptised in the Holy Spirit and fire. It's what Jesus knew had to happen. It's the whole strategy. It's not a work of man. It's a work of God. It's not human wits and wisdom. It's fire. Fire. Now, Let's just look at those verses briefly. In fact, only one verse. Verse 4, Acts 1 verse 4. Jesus said, there's an interesting phrase, wait for the gift my father promised. Now actually, he's talking about the same thing again. (laughs) Because as far as God and Jesus are concerned, this is the big deal. This is the fire. This is the thing he went through it all for. It's what God's been promising. He said, wait for the gift my father promised. So, the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit is a promise from God. It had been looked for for centuries, but now at last, it could happen. It could happen. And I want another scripture, we'll put this one up and we'll leave it up for a little while, please. John 7, you can read it on the screen. This is an example of how it couldn't have happened earlier. It's a bit like the other scriptures, the baptism, and I still, you know, I can't quite do it yet, baptism, fire. But this one is a different way of putting it, different illustrations about water. On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. Leave it up, please, because we refer to it a bit. This is another way of saying what we're seeing all morning. Jesus this time says it's not a baptism that he's he's facing personally, the, the cross. This is, Jesus is not yet glorified, which is what is about to happen in Acts 1. That's the risen Jesus ascended, and therefore what he's actually talking about couldn't quite happen at that moment. But there's no reason why it can't happen now, is there? Because Jesus is glorified. 
The promise of the Father hung on what Jesus had to do, not what you had to do. Jesus needed to be glorified. That has well and truly happened. Jesus needed to go through his baptism. That has well and truly happened. Now, the Spirit can be given without measure. In a unique way, never before seen in the history of humanity. Not the occasional anointing of a prophet, priest or king, but something poured on all flesh who come to know God through Jesus. Poured on all. That's Joel's prophecy that Peter refers to. Something very special is happening. And it's a promise from God. God said, I'm promising to do this. I'm going to do it. It's all there through the Old Testament. Now it can happen. Jesus has gone through his baptism. Now he's glorified. Now, to use these verses, the streams of living water can flow. They're both pictures. They're metaphors. Fire and water. But they're pretty good ones. And now the streams of living water can flow. Notice another word. Leave that scripture up, please. Notice another word used. Wait for the gift my father promised. Do you earn a gift? Come on, do you earn a gift? No. You don't earn being filled with the Spirit, baptised in the Spirit. It is not a reward for being a super Christian, a good Christian. You do not fast and pray and therefore earn it. I'm not saying people haven't fasted and prayed as they tussled with the dilemma. That's irrelevant. There's no no, um, thing that you earn it. You don't have to have done so many years of something or other. That is not, it is a gift That means being filled with the fire of God, being filled with the Holy Spirit, depends on God and Jesus and not you, other than you ask for it, other than you want it. It's really in these verses. If anyone is thirsty, the only bit you do to qualify is to want it. Are you thirsty? Do you want fire? I do. Do you want fire? I mean, it can be uncomfortable. Fire burns up rubbish. Jesus said it will do. It will be like a refining fire, purifying the gold of his people, making them more golden, more purified. But don't be in any doubt. The gift of, gifts of the Spirit, the filled with the Spirit, baptised in the Spirit, these things are the right of every true Christian who put faith in Jesus. You don't earn them. They're not for super Christians. They are a promise. They're a gift available for all in and through Jesus Christ. So as we look at these verses, there is a very simple little guide on how we get filled with the Spirit. If you've never been filled with the Spirit again before, well, you can do it today. If you've been filled many times before, you can get refilled today. I don't think the formula, horrible word, is any different. Here it is. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Seems simple enough, doesn't it? That's what it is. They've got to want it. They've got to be thirsty and hungry. God doesn't give you things you don't want. Not like this, he doesn't. Jesus had other scriptures about asking for the Holy Spirit, encouraging us. We come to Jesus. You don't come to a person or a system. You come to the person of Jesus Christ who's alive today and who's at the throne of the right hand of the Father and is pouring out the Spirit. He is the baptizer in the Spirit. It's Jesus Christ who baptises you in the Holy Spirit. So you come to him and you say, Lord, I want 
more of your spirit. I want to be filled with the spirit. I want your fire. I want your water bubbling out of me. And then it says, and drink, which is probably the bit you think, well, what does that mean? I mean, I don't know what it means. Okay, next point. (laughs) I don't know what it means. Do you know what it means? I think it means receive it. Take it. Get on with it. I mean, what does it mean? How do you, how do you describe it? I'm thirsty, I take a glass of water, and I drink. Now, you, have, you can interpret that for yourself. <laughs> I mean, honestly, it doesn't seem to mean you do, you know, I don't, didn't do a somersault, didn't stand on one leg, didn't sing for five hours, to your great relief. I just took it and had it. And, and, I, and I, I, you know, I, what is it? Well, it means you receive it in faith. It's the best way I describe it. You say, Lord, I want more of your fire. Here I am. <laughs> Lord, I want to go with it. I think if you want some practical help, you don't overanalyze. I didn't analyze, oh, what sort of water is it? Now, you know, whoa, ah, can I drink? Will my mouth open? I don't, you know, will my teeth open or will it pour down my chin and look silly in front of 400 people? You know, will I dribble it down my front? I didn't think of all those things. I just did it. And actually, I don't know if we, some of that problem is there. We, we, we analyze too much. We think too much. Instead of just receiving it, that could be a point. But I think the best I understand it is that once we've asked, we begin to walk expecting God to meet us. It may be we just follow the promptings of the Spirit. We just feel to praise him. Oh, let it go. Just praise him. Maybe you just feel a prompting to tell your friend at work tomorrow. New boldness. Maybe you just feel, wow, it begins like you just do what the Spirit of God leads you to do. Sometimes it's a, it might be in the area of praise and worship, and possibly things like tongues, very possibly. But, but sometimes it might be in the area of a new boldness or a new assurance that you're the child of God. All of these things are evidence of the Spirit of God working in you. But it's God's Spirit. I can't give you ground rules. I can say you just take it on board and you go with what he does. But you've got to realize you're asking for God in your life. You're asking for fire. And fire is a little scary, isn't it? I think it can be a little scary. I think he will touch and burn up things he doesn't like. We can be scared about that sometimes. Well, be frightened and go for it. Don't back off. He's a kind father. He wants the best for you. Yeah, he might might touch some unrighteousness in your life. That might be one of the most clear evidences you've got that the Holy Spirit, you know, oh, I can't keep doing that anymore. Praise God. Get rid of that non-Christian boyfriend or girlfriend. Stop fiddling the money. Stop swearing. I don't know. Whatever it is. Just God begins to do something. That could be as big a thing as speaking in tongues. So that might happen, yeah. But he'll actually begin to change you too. Refine you. You'll begin to change He'll put a zeal and boldness in your heart, and that can be embarrassing. I mean, I personally, I can live so long with the status quo, but I can't live for long. I, I'm, I feel I'm quite lukewarm. I, I'm fed up with being Luke. I feel, God, I want to be, let's, let's be a bit bolder. Oh, God, let's be a little uncomfortable. Let's be a bit more embarrassing. Can't we be a bit more embarrassing? Do we have to be quite so nice? Can't we be a little less safe? quite so sensible oh, we are so good at this. I'm very sensible honestly I'm so sensible I'm sick of it I am I get cross with how sensible I am I mean I give you a sensible answer for everything it's so boring God come on us 
Uh, don't you agree? I'm not, I'm not asking to be daft for the sake of it, run out there naked or something. I'm just saying, for goodness sake, we need the fire of God, don't we? God, come on us and help us. We need you to a bit more combustion. I'll get back to my word. You want to, I tried for C's, you see. I thought it was quite clever. But we need it. The combustion of the Spirit. We're going to sort of finish now. We're going to worship God and we're going to ask God for some combustion. Come on, let's have the musicians back up.